Calvary Baptist Church podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 21. And if you've been with us for the last uh, few weeks, you know that we've spent some time in the previous chapter, Exodus chapter 20, as we were going through the Ten Commandments one at a time, these grand foundational laws that God has given us. And so now we've made it to Exodus 21, and we're going to kind of pick up the pace a little bit. In fact, today, uh, really kind of focusing on three chapters, but we'll narrow in on one specific passage within those three chapters. But if you've ever read Exodus 21 through 23, you're, you're reading about these laws, very specific laws that God has given to his people. So he's following up on the Ten Commandments with these specific laws dealing with specific situations. He talks about how to treat servants, Hebrew servants. He talks about what to do when personal injuries occur and laws dealing with personal injuries. He talks about laws dealing with protection of property. He talks about some laws dealing with social responsibility and then laws of justice for the poor. And then some religious laws come to us in chapter 23. And so I don't know if you're like me, but as I read through the Bible, and I do encourage you to make that a part of your rhythm, to try to be reading through the Bible systematically. And if you're doing that, you probably get a little bogged down when you come to passages and scriptures like Exodus 21 through 23, these these ancient laws, uh, and maybe as you read in other places like Leviticus, you have a lot of laws. You get to Deuteronomy, you have a lot of laws. And sometimes it's kind of hard for us to get through that and say, what's the point? You know, what, what am I, what, what's in here for me today from all of these ancient rules and these ancient laws? Well, we always need to step back and say, what can we learn about God from these laws? And we can learn a lot about God from the laws we read in Exodus 21 through 23. One, we learn that God deeply cares about foreigners, and he deeply cared about the slaves, the Hebrew slaves that were in their midst And he expected his people to treat them very differently than the world treated them. He cares very much about and for the poor, and especially for widows and orphans. We see that in some of these laws. He cares about the innocent, especially those who are falsely accused. And he wants them to receive justice. And he set up a system for them to receive justice. God cares deeply about our personal property and he expects our personal property to be respected. There were laws about that. 
He cares about women. He cares about children. He cares about babies. He cares about the unborn. We see that in one of these laws that we're going to look at here in just a second. So what I'm saying to you is if we read through some of these passages and detailed laws that are ancient, we still can learn a lot about God. And we need to learn about God and his heart towards us and towards others. Well, the law that I want to focus on today actually comes in Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 22. And it's known, it's kind of nicknamed by theologians as the Lex Talionis, the law of retaliation. That's, that's Latin, Lex Talionis, and the Bible was eventually translated into Latin. It became the standard for many centuries and so that's where this phrase comes from, lex talionis, but it's referring to the law of retaliation that is first recorded in the Bible in this passage, Exodus chapter 21, verse 22 and following. So let's read it right here. Just listen as I read it for you. It says, if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is a serious injury, then here it is. This is the text, the Lex Talionis. It says, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. All right, now you find that in multiple places in Scripture. You actually find it in two other places in the Old Testament, You'll find it in Leviticus 24, and you'll find it in Deuteronomy 19. But we'll kind of stick with this part of it. This is where it's introduced. Anytime you hear this phrase, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, we're talking about the lex talionis. And so look at the situation that's being described. You have two people who get out of hand, get out of control, and they're in a fight. They're fighting. And it seems to be a violent fight. And so this pregnant woman appears to try to intervene, to get in the way and separate the two parties fighting and ends up getting hit in the stomach, in the womb. And it causes her to give birth prematurely. And so then we have repercussions. What is required of the one who hit her? And basically, we're given a law. And we're told if there's no serious injury, the offender must be fined, whatever the husband's uh, demands, and the court allows. That's an important phrase. The court allows. And then it says, but if there was serious injury, perhaps either the death of the woman, the mother, or of the child, then... Lex talionis is in effect. It should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, and so forth. Now, what in the world does this mean? You know, as we hear this phrase, and it's been repeated, it's even a common phrase known in our culture. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is this meaning that when somebody wrongs me or harms me, even if it's accidental, that I have the right in some way to get even. Is this 
law really saying? Is this giving me license to do equal harm to someone else who's harmed me? Is that what it's saying? Is this giving me permission to take uh, and get personal vengeance within an interpersonal relationship? Is this law giving me permission to even the score, so to speak, if somebody violates my rights or hurts me or my family? So is this saying if someone hits me in the eye, I have the right to hit them in the eye? Is this saying, you know, if somebody does damage to my property, I have the right to go do damage to their property? Is this saying if somebody cuts me off in traffic and is rude to me that I have the right to return the favor? If somebody speaks poorly of me or wrongly of me on social media, I have the right to equal the scores. That's what this saying. Is this what the Lex Talionis is really about. That's, what, that's the way it's often interpreted in our culture. We have a right to stand up for our rights and get even. Well, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, in many respects, it means just the opposite of that. Let me explain what the Lex Talionis, I have a definition here. This is the official definition that I want to state today. The Lex Talionis is a legal principle designed to guide judges and courts in making sure that the punishment for a crime matches but does not exceed the damage done. All right, first of all, this is a judicial principle. That's why it says in Exodus 21, verse 22, what the court allows. This is a principle to guide judges and then the elders of the ancient world who were making judgments in the ancient courts in making sure that true justice occurred but did not exceed the punishment that was required. This was really a law designed not to protect the victim, but to actually protect the one that committed the offense, making sure that they would not be overpunished. This is a legal principle that's actually applied by many judicial systems around the world today. And it came from, from the ancient Hebrew scriptures. We have it in our law. It's a principle applied in our law, and that is that the punishment must fit the crime. Let's just say you and I were driving to church this morning, and we were running just a little bit behind. This is hypothetical, of course. Running a little bit behind and say we were going 10 miles over the speed limit, and we get caught. And then we have to go to court and when we go to court, the judge says, all right, you were guilty of going 10 miles over the speed limit, so that's 10 years imprisonment. How would we feel about that? First of all, our church would be empty. Okay? That's a problem. But we would not feel good because that's an injustice. That's not fair. 
The punishment does not fit the crime. We want the punishment to fit the crime. And what God was saying here in the Lex Talionis is that the punishment must fit the crime. Yes, there needs to be fair justice administered, fair retribution, fair punishment, but it has to be fair. And so it, and, and again, this is, this rule eye for eye was never taken literally. It was never meant to be taken literally. They didn't, if somebody accidentally knocked out somebody's eye or, or damaged it physically, they didn't gouge out the perpetrator's eye. They just made sure that the punishment equaled the loss and it made up and provide retribution for that type of loss. That's a serious loss to lose an eye. And so it was gonna be serious repercussions, serious fines could be required, just like us. They could require confinement or a prison term, or it could involve having to give property to make up for the loss, to make up for the lost wages if a person's wage, ability to earn a wage. So they had the same kind of concept that we have, but it wasn't literal. That's one thing we need to understand. And this is a principle I think we need to, to, to start with is just say there's two clear things. Courts are sanctioned by God to make these type of judicial decisions. This is not a law regarding interpersonal relationships. It's a law guiding judges and courts. And we are told in scripture to honor the courts and honor judges and respect the authorities. Go to Romans chapter 13 and it talks about that. We're to submit to them because they are really empowered, we're told in Romans 13, by God himself. He's allowed them to have that role and we need to respect that role. And we do have the right when we have been violated in some way to use the court systems. That's what we, we're told. But even if the courts fail us, we know that it's not our job to avenge wrongs or to seek revenge. It's God's job. Deuteronomy says that. It's God's job to avenge. We also have it in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, that I think is very powerful. It says, it says, for we know him who said, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's God's job to avenge. It's not our job. We need to understand that, especially in terms of interpersonal relationships. Now we get the most clear teaching on the Lex Talionis in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And that's found in Matthew chapter five. And I wanna ask you and invite you to turn there to Matthew chapter five. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins talking about the Lex Talionis. Let's see what he has to say. But before we read it, let me just encourage you to um, kind of buckle up your spiritual seatbelt for just a moment because we're about to go for a, a ride and it's gonna be a rough ride. This is one of the hard sayings in scripture that Jesus gives us. And so let's, let's get ready for it. It says, Jesus says, you have heard it said it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now what I believe he's implying is that in both in the biblical world, both the Old Testament 
and the New Testament, the time of Christ, people were often translating the Lex Talionis in the way I just described. I have the right to stand up for my rights and get even if needed. That's how they were translating it or interpreting it. Jesus says, so you've heard it said that. But I tell you this, do not resist an evil person. And then he gives four examples of an evil person doing something hateful or wrong or taking advantage. And he he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. The famous turn the other cheek passage. Verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Third example, verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is referring to Roman soldiers who by law could conscript a civilian and force them to carry their pack for a mile. The official law of the day. And then the fourth example is give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Somebody wants to borrow from you and uh, they probably are not a, a dependable person, a responsible person, probably a person that you know is not gonna pay you back. And so what Jesus is saying is extremely countercultural. Somebody hits you in the cheek. And most of the commentaries will take note that in their world, just like in our world, most people are right-handed. And to be hit in the right cheek, as it says, very specifically, really implies a backhanded slap, a backhanded slap. That's really more of a violent hit than a slap. So somebody assaults you violently, what does he say to do? He doesn't say, oh man, you got the Lex Talionis on your side, punch him in the face, hit him back. No, he says show radical restraint and even allow them to hit you in the other cheek. And then he goes on to the next example. If anyone wants to to, uh, sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, what this is talking about is the cultural principle, the way that they often kind of set up collateral. Most people in their day were very poor and they didn't have things to use for collateral uh, like we do. And so, and they didn't have the clothing even that we have. Most people had one or two outfits, maybe one that they were wearing and one that they were washing and they would just rotate them. And their outfits basically involved undergarments like underwear, and then they had kind of a a tunic that went over that, kind of like we would call a shirt. And then they had their outer cloak that was usually made of wool, and that would be something that they would keep warm with on cold days and then always need at night to keep warm. It was their blanket. And so there was this law, we read about this in Scripture, uh, where they could use the outer cloak as collateral. Somebody could take it during the day 
because that was a necessary item and it was just, if the person refused to repay, they could eventually keep it. But they were told they had to give it back at night so they could stay warm at night. That's how it worked. And so what he's saying is somebody is suing you and wants your coat as collateral uh, in, in this deal, you will have to you give them your shirt too. Just be overly generous. Let them take advantage of you. And then he says on the next one about the Roman soldiers. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. A Roman soldier had their armor that we read about in scripture, but they also carried a pack and it would weigh between 50 to 60 pounds, we believe. What was in it? It was their food rations, extra clothes, their cooking ware, had uh, shovels and other tools because a lot of what they did uh, out in peacetime was construction projects and, and so forth. That's what was in there, in their bedding, their bedroll. Would weigh up to 60 pounds, potentially. Now, I'm, I've done a little bit of backpacking, and I can tell you that if you carry a 50-pound backpack, that is extremely heavy. That's about the max that I would ever try to carry. And those, the, the backpacks I'm using are very padded. They're designed to kind of distribute the weight well. Uh, we have gear that kind of fits the packs. It wasn't so for them. The Roman pack would have been dead weight. And they were supposed to carry it at least a mile. Not only was it something insulting to them because they were under the subjugation of the Romans. They were basically uh, occupied people. And they hated having to do this for the Romans, but it was also physically demanding to carry that pack. What does Jesus say? He says, go way beyond the law, carry it two miles. And so he's talking about radical generosity towards one's enemies. Radical love. Radical grace. That's, it's really extraordinary what he's telling us to do. And in fact, you're probably thinking, there's no way I could do this. If somebody comes up and physically, violently hits me in the face, there is no way I can do what Jesus is saying to do. There's no way I can show this radical grace and kindness to my enemy. And you know what? You're right. There is no way you can do this in your own nature, your own fleshly human nature. You cannot do it, and you will not do it. Your nature is going to react completely in the opposite direction to what Jesus is saying to do. But guess what? If you are a follower of Christ, you have a spiritual nature given to you by the Spirit of God. He lives within you. This is the only way you can live this out is by letting the Spirit fill you, letting the Spirit lead you and empower you. But Jesus says that's what you need to do. And if you will let the Spirit, you can react with radical restraint, radical love, radical grace, even towards your enemy, the evil person that's trying to hurt you and take advantage of you 
and is truly wronging you. You know, Jesus played by his own rules. You remember the story of the cross and really the abuse that Jesus was given by his enemies began even before the cross. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? They arrest him. Peter takes out his sword. He's going to fight. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not our way, Peter. Put the sword up. Peter was trying to cut the head off of the servant and he misses and cuts his ear off. The guy kind of ducked. Jesus heals the servant, says, Peter, put the sword up. That's not who we are. That's not how we're going to respond. And then he goes through all of the incredible trauma, all of the bullying, all of the mockery, beating him in the face, spitting on him, plucking out his beard. We're told about all of this in Scripture. What did Jesus do? He turned the other cheek. They even gambled for his clothes. Jesus gave him his clothes. And in the end, what did Jesus do? Did he resist the evil ones and all the evil that was happening to him? No, in the end, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, what's the result of that type of love towards one's enemies? What's the outcome? And why does he tell us to do this? I think it, it connects to that question. What's the outcome and why does he tell us to do that and that would behave this way? Well, think about the Roman centurion, the guy in charge of murdering Jesus on the cross and making sure everything was done just according to Roman policy. After he saw Jesus and heard his response and saw his reaction and experienced his radical restraint, his radical love and the radical grace, he says, oh my goodness, this was a righteous, righteous man. One of the passages indicates that he recognized he was the son of God. This, he had to be. And that implies that it changed that man's life forever. And it certainly changed our lives, didn't it? That Jesus showed us who we're told because of our sin, we too became enemies of God. And yet he showed radical restraint, radical love, radical grace to us. And it changed us forever. And that's what this can do. If you and I kind of get out of ourselves and get our focus off ourselves and our rights and put it on the enemy. What's best for the enemy? What does God want for our enemy? The evil person that is doing these things. He wants us to show them that there really is a God who really has changed us. And we are radically countercultural, radically different. We are not full of hate, we're full of love. We're not trying to get revenge. We're wanting to be kind and caring. And not only that, we want them to become one of us, to go from an enemy to being even more than a friend, a brother and sister in Christ. That's what we're after. And it's only when we 
follow the example of Jesus. We're supposed to be Christ followers, right? If we follow his example, especially in this respect, then we can make a huge difference on our enemies. I heard a story when I was in seminary told by Jess Moody. He's kind of now a famous Baptist pastor. He spoke in chapel, and he told the story about his spiritual mentor. He actually was one of his seminary professors back in the day. And uh, he simply, he told us the name. I can't remember the man's name, but it was, uh, he went by Bill. That was his, his uh, nickname. And so I'm going to tell the story the way he told it from Bill's perspective. He asked his mentor, Jess did on one occasion, he asked Bill, what was it that changed your life for, for Christ? What's your testimony? And so Bill began to tell him his testimony. He said, he said, Jess, when I was a teenager, something pretty extraordinary happened. And it changed my life forever. And he said it involved my mother and it involved me and it involved a neighbor. And he said, I grew up in an era where we, we grew up on a farm. Everybody had a farm back in those days. And most every kid my age had a dog and I had a dog and I loved my dog and he loved me and we were close friends. And he said, one time my mother told me to go to town and get some supplies and called for my dog. He wasn't around. That wasn't completely unusual, but he said, I got the supplies and I came back home. And as I was coming up my driveway, I was horrified to see the dead body of my dog who had been shot and killed. And he said, I ran to the front door and when I opened the door and my mother came out of the kitchen and he said, as soon as I saw her, I knew that she knew. And I said, what happened? And he said, my mother said, Mr. Willingham, our neighbor called and said, your dog got on his property and was bothering his livestock. So he shot and killed your dog. And he warned us to keep all of our animals off his property. And he said, with that, Bill said, I just put my head down and I walked into my bedroom, walked into my closet, grabbed my rifle, went over to where I kept my ammunition, began to fill up the shells into my gun. And he said, as I was doing that, I could tell, I could feel my mother hovering behind me. And she said, Bill, what are you doing? And he said, I'm going to go kill his prize horse. And she said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Look at me, son. And he said, I turned around and I looked at my sweet mother who loved the Lord. And she said, don't debate. Don't escalate. For heaven's sake, bake him a cake. So what are you talking about? I said, don't debate, don't escalate, for heaven's sake, bake him a cake. He said, you're serious, aren't you? And she said, I am serious. And he said, I would rather die first. And she said, you will die in your soul if you do what you intend to do. Besides, I've already baked him the cake. <laughs> and so she went back into her kitchen and brought back this freshly baked 
moist cake, put it in her son's hands, took the gun out, set it in the corner, led him over to the front door, opened the door and pushed him out. And he said, I just began to stumble across our front yard and pasture, headed over to Mr. Willingham's house, knowing the whole time this was exactly the wrong thing to do. But I was taught to honor my mother. And I loved my mother. And I trusted my mother. And so I just kept walking. And he said, when I got to Mr. Willingham's front door, I knocked on the door, and uh, eventually he, it flung open. And there he was with shotgun in hand. What do you want? And he said, Mr. Willingham, I'm not your enemy. I'm your neighbor. And you shot and killed my dog, and I love my dog very much, but we're not going to escalate this situation. We've baked you a cake. We give it with love. And he was shocked. Didn't know how to respond. Couldn't respond for what seemed like minutes. And finally he said, well, just bring it on in then. And so he walked into Mr. Willingham's house, set the cake down on his kitchen table. And Mr. Willingham said, sit down. And they sat down together, just eyeball to eyeball across this table with the cake in the middle. And they just kind of stared at each other. <laughs> and finally, Mr. Willingham got up and he went over and he got two little plates, two forks, and a knife. And he cut the cake and he set one in front of Bill and then he cut a piece for himself. And they, they stared at each other for what seemed like more minutes. And then he said, take the first bite. He said, well, you think we poisoned it or something? And he picked up the fork and he took a bite. And as he took that bite, he looked up and he never expected to see what he was now seeing. Tears streaming down. This hard-hearted, mean-spirited farmer lived his life completely separated from the goodness of God. And he said, Bill, whatever you and your family have, I want that. I need that. And so he said, I had a chance to share the gospel with my neighbor, Mr. Willingham. He said, the next Sunday in our little country church, Baptist church. He said, I got to watch as my neighbor, Mr. Willingham, walked down the aisle after the sermon and just gave his heart and his life to Christ. All because of the non-debating, non-escalating, non-retaliatory actions of a Christian mother and of her Christian teenage son. So you and I have our own cakes to bake, don't we? Jesus said it's the right way. He said it's the royal way. It's the way of extraordinary restraint, extraordinary love, 
and extraordinary grace. And it's the way that changes lives forever. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m. and our traditional service is at 11.15. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.